Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley, and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Taru Shagarwal, an analytics expert and the CEO of 5X, on the topic of the impacts of becoming a data-driven company and how data changes how companies operate. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. And my guest today is Tarush Agarwal, founder and CEO of 5X, which offers data reporting as a service so users can make data-driven decisions faster. And welcome, Tarush. Christian, thank you so much for having me in the show. Looking forward to being here and hopefully adding some value to your listeners. Well, I think it's a great topic, and this is something that, you know, I had a couple of guests and we've talked about this shift towards data-driven organizations. And I'll be honest, you know, being it's about half of my career in product management, product development, and, and independent software vendors that I've worked for, and they've largely yeah. been data-driven organizations, but we've seen this shift over to, for, for companies of within, you know, every industry and in multiple roles, which are becoming more data driven, more data reliant. So what is that shift that's happening? Why is that happening? Yeah, you know, you know, in some ways, you know, everyone kind of talks about the data revolution, right? And it in some ways was really powered by the advent of the cloud. All of a sudden, you know, you had Facebook and Google, which came about, about, about 20 years ago. And they started saying that, you know, we, for the first time, we moved from storing our data on our own computers. You would store your docs on your hard drives. And we started storing this information in the cloud with the advent of Facebook and Google, right? And, you know, we needed to have, we needed to come up with a new set of technologies which were able to analyze this data at scale. And that really started us up on what we call the big data revolution. It wasn't so much about the volume of data, but what are the tools, frameworks, you have, which will allow you to analyze this sort of at scale. So, you know, this is sort of really where we came from. And what's really happened, you know, like 10 years ago, Google Analytics was one of the most popular tools on online, right? It gave you, you know, we were entering the era of, of like websites. We had gone, for, you know, from, from this time where, again, 10 years ago, digital marketing wasn't a thing. And Google came and told you that if you don't sort of do digital marketing, if you don't care about what your customers are talking about to you and you don't have an online presence, it's going to be very, very difficult to exist. And that's extremely true today. So, you know, if you, if you look at it, it's just a sort of continuation from what's happened. But what's really important today are, you know, understanding your sort of go-to-market strategy, where are your customers coming from across your various different campaigns, whereas, whereas sort of website is just one of them. But, you know, SEO, online, offline, referrals, ads, you know, all of the different sort of, uh, all, all of your different go-to-market sources, being able to figure out, you know, being able to compare them apples to apples and figure out which one do we want to double down on, which one do we not. Understanding what are the different types of users who use your product or your services, what are the different segments, what's your customer lifetime value, how do you personalize your app for the different segments, how do you use data to automate some of your financial sort of processes? Who are your best sales rep? 
How do you, you know, use more automation to decrease manual support and kind of things like this. And, you know, if you're unable to really get very, very good at these things in the next five years, it's just going to become very difficult to compete because your sort of competition will be able to out-execute you. You know, so it just really- made me think though, of, of like going back even beyond the 10 years, I think you're right. Digital marketing really evolved and really kind of became a reality in the last decade. But I, I think back to like Seth Godin with Permission Marketing. Uh, he sold his company and wrote the books and went in there. It was all about, um, you know, uh, personalization of your marketing, connecting with the person that you're selling to and starting to track the data across this. And for people that don't understand what digital marketing was like 20 years ago, to your point, like it didn't really exist, not certainly not the way that we look at it now. And yep. attribution, it's hard now. It was near impossible 20 years ago. And yet yep. we we use cookies, we use what data that we had, but you, you know, to to kind of track the life cycle and the relationship with customers. But then we lacked the other half, which is kind of what you got into on within our own companies. It's not just tracking the life cycle of a customer visiting our website, what they click on, what they're doing, what they download, what they register for, but also optimizing within the company of how we handle and track that customer within our systems. That's something yep. that is largely new. Absolutely. And, you know, if you could just look at it like 10 years ago, even to do any sort of, any sort of tracking, like, you know, I, I joined my career, I, I sort of got to be one of the first data engineers at Salesforce, and this is back in, in, like, in like 2011, no one in the valley really had data engineers and data scientists, right? Those kind of professions right. came yeah. a little bit later. And, you know, we were tracking engagement by pulling log files from, you know, from servers and like running Hadoop on top of it and extracting, you know, metrics from logs. And that's how we were figuring out what are, you know, sort of how do we do benchmarking and how our customers using a feature. Whereas today, you know, you can install any front end analytics tool like, you know, amplitude or mix panel and heap. And, you know, even if you forget to instrument something that's like auto instrumented for you, and it's just become a lot sort of more consumable and a, and a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I, I've had this conversation a few times because you know, coming from the, in the early to mid nineties, coming from the data warehousing world, like we had da- you know, DBAs. And again, it was a slightly different focus and it was all on-prem. You know, we had our, our server farms at data centers that I worked for the phone company. I grew up born and raised in the Bay area in the San Francisco Bay area and worked for Pacific bell for a number of years and a couple of other companies. But I worked with the data, the the DBAs to go in to, to, you know, that own that data and to let's constantly manipulating, looking at the data. One of my projects in 96, 97, was an integration of a massive GIS database, trying to give the location of customers of every customer of Pacific Bell. So that, um, you know, little details, like if you're going to go dig up somebody's street to repair a phone line, you want the accuracy of where you're digging to be within like three feet, not, you know, 30 feet, you know? Yeah. You don't want to have to dig up everybody's yard to find where that cable is, is, is dropped. 
And so that was kind of the, the, the projects that we're doing. But anyway, that those roles seemed to kind of, those DBA roles kind of disappeared. When I started to see you know, the, these new data analyst roles pop up in different companies, my first thought is this is just the latest technology and looking at you know, the cloud data, but looking at these multiple resources, it's the old DBA roles. Yeah, I think, you know, partly why the DBA role kind of went away is, you know, back then it was X amount of information you could fit into a sort of database before it got really slow or, you know, fundamentally, you know, with like Postgres even sort of till date, right? It's, it's in the millions of rows, which is kind of what you can sort of scale to. And all of a sudden you have, you know, the snowflakes and the big queries and the redshifts of the world, which are, which are sort of petabyte scale. And you can really throw anything at them and they'll figure out how to dynamically compute and, you know, sort of store information in, in a better way, which makes, you know, which makes running a sort of query language like SQL on top of it so much more efficient. And I think with the advent of that, you know, we start having to worry less about the lows and the, the sort of lower and lower storage and optimizations layer and, you know, actually spend our time going more upstream. And I think, you know, a lot of DB, uh, a lot of you know, old school DBAs would sort of rebrand themselves in some ways, going upstream as you know, data scientists um, or you know, data engineers, analysts, any of that. What kind of when you talk about going in and and you know that we we have the cloud, we have the scale, uh, you know, a lot of those. I mean, the the, the so yes, the data analysis portion and no matter what you call yourself around that is that there's we have now access to more data than ever before we have some of the other like i used to talk about in the collaboration technology space every collaboration technology data discussion is a big data discussion because you're talking about massive amounts of data transactional data all of the different you know, uh, uh, layers of data, of content, of activities that are happening that yeah. companies should go and report on. And the fact that companies just stopped deleting and archiving data. They were like, we don't know if we're going to need this. So let's just keep yeah. everything. Yeah. And with massive amounts of data. So, so when you work with companies, when you work with clients now, how do you go, what, what's your approach to help them start to sort through? Sure. How do you help them accelerate? with all yeah. of that data. So, you know, the average company today has got between, between 10 to 12 different data sources, which you very accurately sort of pointed out, right? It's your transactional, your CRM, your financial, your social networks, um, you know, your help desk, you know, the average startup today has got between 10 to 12 different sources of data. At WeWork, we had over a hundred, right? One of, you know, we were at that time doing online as well as offline. While the modern data stack, you know, is really, it's become mainstream, it's extremely fragmented because it's so hot. There is, you know, a, the new categories, sort of the new categories in the data space, which are coming out all the time. You know, we have data collection, ingestion, storage, modeling, reporting, decision-making, uh, data lineage, data catalog, data mesh, um, A-B testing, AI, you know, I just named 15 layers. And each of them today have a, have a sort of billion dollar player. So if you're a company and you want to get started, you have to go sign five different enterprise contracts and spend a few months trying to stitch this all together. You know, what 5X is, is where the first platform which stitches together the modern data stack and gives it to you as a service. 
So you don't need to go sign enterprise contracts. You don't need to spend months to, to sort of deploy this together. You're you're sort of good to go out of the box, enter your credit card, and you know a few seconds later you'll have the stack, right? So that's kind of the first thing which we do. And you know the other problem is that companies want to move quickly and that's actually pretty cyclic right your periods where you're launching new features where you have a lot to do your periods where you're figuring things out maintenance and you know we're living in a world of engineering shortage we're going to live in a software engineering shortage for a long time when it comes to data it's even harder right so you know if the company is growing but you're unable to hire a data team that's kind of pretty pretty sort of challenging so you know what we sort of do is today Today, we interview about 500 engineers a week. We sort of get to hire the top 1%. We initially sort of began this in India, but now doing this in like nine countries. And we're able to create these pods, right? So, you know, a, 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 an engineering pod could be an engineer in South America, in Africa, and in, in India. And companies kind of get access to these pods. You know, so no one really cares anymore about who's my engineer. They care about output. No one's doing data for the sake of doing data. They all, they're doing data to optimize the business. So, you know, on top of this platform, which we sort of give them, because we control the platform, we can, we can not only hire the top 1% of engineers, but we can also pre-train them on the platform. Um, and now we're giving company a very elastic way to be able to add um, data engineering or sort of analytical resources on top of the platform to be able to execute end-to-end -end data strategies. Very cool. So uh, your clients are all over the world as well. Do they, and they don't care. I mean, I, well, I, I know that we're, we're increasingly becoming, you know, a virtual just the tech in general, you know, and yeah. uh, which is causing some other issues, but I think is mostly a, a, a good thing. Like in, in the U S the, the problem that's happening is with the uh, smaller areas like myself, where we appreciated um, small town prices on homes and things are all yeah. out the window. We're, we're very quickly where I live, for example, getting ready to pay Seattle and San Francisco prices for our housing. Yep. It's, it's moving up there very quickly. Um, yeah. But, but the reality is that most of our businesses, like we're, my company is a global company. We have offices in 18 or 19 countries uh, and uh, you know, customers in over 80 uh, and, and so we are a 24 seven company. There's always somebody working somewhere in the world. And yeah. so when we leverage services and partners, we're looking for that same kind of access and, you know, follow the sun model. And so yeah. do you, do you have those kinds of questions anymore? Do, do customers look at, and are, are they concerned about what well, you said that they don't care about the engineer, who the engineer is, but working with the company is it has it evolved into truly a global view of these services or do you still have I mean, kind of regional trade-offs that's a great question and i think you know um there's always going to be d different companies which look at the world slightly differently and sort of today we've been super fortunate we're only like about eight months old but we have companies and our smallest ones are like pre-product they haven't even launched a product, so they have no data, but they want to do it right when they launch. And, you know, our biggest companies are sort of public companies. We have banks using us today. And, you know, in general, different companies will want different flavors. So, you know, more regulated industries or enterprise companies want dedicated engineers. 
you know, they're not going to be open with a flexible model. And we can, you know, we, we first began with that for us the, the sort of pod model is really what we see as the future. And now increasingly more and more and more and more companies are subscribing to this model, you know, especially for you know, the sort of mid market or, you know, sort of even earlier companies, which, you know, want to be more dynamic, uh, you know, having elastic sort of supply of like talent is sort of really exciting. Um, and, you know, having around the clock support, as you said, you know, I love the example you gave about the sun never setting on, on sort of your company, um, but actually having a sort of global force out of the box, which can kind of do that. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, in the long term, we're sort of moving away from this concept of, uh, of, you know, a very, a very static way of doing things with offices and employees and, you know, sort of static resources to you know moving towards output based um, sort of delivery where you know what is the you know roi or what's the output of or you know what's the business impact and uh, i think it's just a very exciting time to be able to you know offer a sort of data solution in this new um, in this new paradigm you mentioned working with a lot you know companies that are like pre-product and starting up and you know, so how different, like what, what is your recommendation for a company starting up? Like what should they be thinking about from a data perspective yeah. versus what you're experiencing with companies? Uh, and I'm sure it, it has to be, you know, there are always frustrations with any you know, kind of customer and different things that they, you know, that they're, they're trying to do. And you're, I, I know having been a consultant when you're hired to help solve a problem and yet then they push back with well this is the way that we do it and so getting them yeah. to change but what how do you approach a you know a like a, a greenfield a new customer with that setup sure. versus a, a, an existing company yeah so you know depending on the maturity of of a, of a sort of customer right and we have we you know we do customer maturity matrices you know when we start speaking to someone um you know from for an earlier stage company, it's, it's just important to know in general, data is the bridge between the business and engineering. It it's what connects, you know, the the actual product to you know the actual you know the sort of where the business wants to go in the ROI. And until now, it's always been a function which companies just did much later on. And a big part of that was the ROI of doing data has historically been very expensive. You know, hiring two data engineers in America and, you know, signing five enterprise contracts which you pay up front, you know, that's a few hundred thousand dollars just to kind of get started. So, you know, if a company's going to, if an early stage company is going to spend a few hundred thousand dollars, they would have rather hired software engineers. So, you know, the, the sort of dynamics of why companies didn't do this was less so that it was the data function missing. It was just like the, the sort of, the sort of pricing dynamics. But having data people in a business very early, you know, allows you to have the engineering teams focused on what they need to be thinking about, which is the which is the sort of which is the sort of product and living in the future, while having the data teams being able to ensure that you know are we looking at the data models in the right way, which are going to let the business answer the questions we want to answer today, and you know so things like data model design. Coming up with, you know, based on my industry, based on, you know, what we're trying to do, 
what should be the core set of metrics? You know, what's that template which we can kind of get started and then customize as we start to learn the business a little bit more. Um, and then obviously, you know, being able to have that end-to-end -end platform. So you're not spending time setting up a platform when you're, you know, operating um, sort of from the get-go. So, you know, this is a little bit of what we do more specifically for some of the earlier companies. It's, uh, I mean, I, in my experience, again, it's been that, uh, you know, one, companies generally don't want to spend money <clears throat> until they start feeling the pain. And so, you know, and then the other thing with specifically talking about, you know, data analysis, you know, companies that feel like, well, we have to wait until we have, you know, that like the, the knowledge, we've got enough data that we need to then go get it organized. And, and I, I've always felt that that was the wrong approach that to your point, like, well, let's start collecting. There are industry examples. There are best practices. There are experts that we can hire that have this other experience that we can model things the way that they should be. And we know will be in the first three yeah. years of our growth and yeah. then, and then adjust based on what you're learning uh, I, to not wait yeah, until things are broken to yeah. start doing things in the right way. I mean, it's like saying, it's like, oh. you know, uh, yeah, that's, you know, a, a super valid point. Uh, you know, you don't want to wait till you're about to go on vacation to start using the gym. You sort of want to do it beforehand, right? Because, you know, these things take time and, you know, it takes a few iterations to really figure out what are your core metrics and they keep sort of, you know, they keep changing because the first thing which sort of data starts giving you is, more is more information and with with like with like better metrics you start asking better questions and with better questions you change your understanding of the business so it takes a few cycles and you know if, if you're anywhere going to have to do a few cycles of the, the sort of biggest mistake companies make is they sort of push it off until they need it and then they realize they're always playing catch up after that yeah that's gonna be hard i mean uh you know in our I know it's 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 not cool anymore to talk about um, you know the you know agile and that, but the concepts there of iterating quickly, of having smaller sets of of requirements, you know your outcomes, your designs, but going and piloting, trialing, building out, uh, testing that out, pulling in the data, learning from that, modifying and moving forward, but doing it in a very rapid change cycle. Like you have to have data to go and do that. It, it, you know, and so if you're not built, if you're not structured to take in that data, then how are you going to do that quick iteration? Exactly. And I think the other mistake, you know, a lot of folks makes make, a, you know, the idea that we're going to collect everything and we're, we're then going to be sitting on this gold mine of data, which we're, we, we're going to be able to mine and, and come up with some amazing insights. And I think there's a, you know, a little bit of misconception over there because unless you really understand how you're gonna use it, you know, just the way you store sort of structure, the way you sort of model it, it sort of changes so, it changes so, it changes so drastically. So in some ways we, we sort of really recommend, you know, there's no need to over collect something, being very, very clear on the use case um, and collecting exactly what you need around that use case. And then as this starts to evolve, you know, we can go back and start adding more stuff, but very rarely do a lot of the historic event tracking 
or historic, um, you know, thinking ahead in terms of use cases ever actually provide productive, um, you know, ever sort of result in having um, the right output. So how do you how do you see this this space evolving and changing over the next four or five years? Yeah. So you know, in a very similar way to the DBA analogy, where you know, 10 years ago, DBAs were spending a lot of their time focused on some of the infrastructure stuff. How do we store it? How do we, you know, make this sort of actual, actually secure and sort of and sort of performant? And all of a sudden, today, even though the volume of data have like gone up 100x, you know, a lot more of these folks are, you know, being data analysts and are able to go one level upstream. So, you know, if you look at that same analogy, right, you know, with, with something like 5x or, you know, other companies which 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 will start to do sort of similar things, you know, spending time spinning up your stack and you know getting it all stitched together becomes easier and easier. And even you know ingesting data, modeling, and structuring and reporting it is becoming really it has already become mainstream, right? And you know if you just look at these three or four layers: ingestion, storage, modeling, reporting. It's you know the best in class vendors have become really clear, like Fivetran you know, is the sort of best in class ingestion vendor and Snowflake with storage and like DBTs become the marketing layer. Obviously in BI, you have, you know, a few different options, um, but it's become really clear who, you know, who the, who the sort of best in class tools are. What's going to start happening is as we go more and more upstream for all of those next layers, they're going to start to become more and more, you know, the sort of, the sort of best in class vendors are sort of going to emerge. So areas like reverse ETL, areas like decision-making, data lineage, data catalog, metadata, you know, all of these are sort of next up in that, um, you know, in this sort of pyramid. And, you know, as these start becoming more mainstream, then now companies are able to take advantage of, you know, the next layers, you know, something like reverse ETL allows us to push this data back into, you know, into sort of, different application systems like pushing this data back into your salesforce and into your marketing automation tools or even you know building customer facing data products and lineage means we're now able to really identify what are the best you know what are our golden data sets or what are the ones which are sort of derived and if something fails understanding upstream and downstream dependencies so you know with the entire ecosystem is is, is going to get more and more mature you know really just like in software engineering, you know, as teams evolve, you know, the engineering processes become more mature and you, you start seeing more, um, more ROI. So I think we're gonna start focusing on the higher levels of the pyramid. And then one layer above that, or maybe even two layers above that will eventually come uh, sort of machine learning and AI, uh, which a lot of people talk right now, but I think we're quite far from those um, actually becoming you know, extremely mainstream and, and, the, and the best in class vendors emerging in those areas. Well, it's, it's an interesting space. It's a growing space. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, I, I, you're trying just to keep up with the vendors and what is your approach? What's unique about, you know, the, their offerings? I mean, there's just a lot to, to go in there and consume, even for somebody that has some background within the space to kind of follow along. So uh, maybe to kind of conclude here, like for, for folks that are interested in your company and what you do, what's the kind of the, the pitch for, for your services? It, people want to find out more 
uh, what's yeah. the right way to engage with you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, the sort of easiest way is either through our website. We're at 5x.co, which is C-O, which is, again, that's 5x.co. Or you can just email us at hello at 5x.co. Um, and, um, you know, that's the easiest way to kind of engage with us. But I think, the, you know, the, the sort of really exciting thing, you know, what we kind of are very excited is that companies which are using us today are able to, you know, get to these data-driven insights in weeks as opposed to mm-hmm. a lot of them historically, which, you know, spend a few months hiring, sort of signing enterprise contracts, sort of, sort of actually stitching it together when it's not uncommon for strategies to take years. Um, so, you know, if you're interested in being able to into sort of get into some of these use cases, which we spoke about at the beginning, then uh, we, we might be the right fit. Well, that is a, I mean, that's a, a great pitch for SaaS solutions in general. It's like, why go build it yourself? Instantly tap into the years of experience, all that infrastructure where a lot of the capabilities that you're looking for are, you know, are, are out in the cloud anyway. You're not going to do it on a server under your desk anymore. Uh, you're, you're not going to go build out a data warehouse to be able to provide just even the computing power to do a lot of the analysis and calculations that you want to do across your data sets. Um, but you have partners, you have vendors like 5X that are able to do that, you know, and get up to speed relatively quickly. Well, Tarush, really appreciate your time, taking the time today. And I don't know what time it is over there in India right now, but uh, really appreciate your time, taking the time to talk. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Christian. It was such a pleasure. I, I sort of love the questions and and hopefully we were able to provide some value for your audience. Like you were, and thank you very much. And uh, we'll hope to connect with you soon. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published every Friday, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast services. Thanks for listening. Hungry for more great content? You have to check out the Shift Happens podcast. I'm your host, Ducks Raymond Sai, Chief Brand Officer at AppPoint, and I sit down to chat with top business leaders and IT professionals about their most challenging modern workplace projects. Tune in to hear real-life advice from industry peers on making plans and pivots, casual conversations exploring the latest trends in collaborative Microsoft 365 technology, and easy, actionable strategies to make organizational change happen. Subscribe to the Shift Happens podcast today, available on all major platforms. Can't wait to see you there. Shift Happens podcast.